Well, good morning and welcome to Hawaii Kai Church on this first Sunday of 2022. I hope all of you had a safe and enjoyable and hopefully restful New Year's celebration yesterday. Would you please open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Luke, chapter 6, verses 37 through 42 is our passage of study this morning. And if you are using the church Bibles that are under your seats, you can find that on page 863. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42 is our passage this morning. And it reads thus. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher." Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Before we begin, would you bow your heads with me as we open our time with a word of prayer? Father, we do thank you and we praise you for this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us yet another opportunity to worship you, to come together as the body of Christ, that we might hear your spoken word, that we might lift up our voices to you in praise, that we might fellowship with one another. We know, Lord, that this is by your grace a gift to us. And so, Father, we receive that this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would help us this morning to hear what you have to say to us, that you would change us through it, that you would help us, Lord, to become more like your son. Lord, only you can do this, and so we ask that you would. Please be with us this morning, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you and we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we begin talking about what this passage means this morning, I think it's important to address a common misconception about what this passage does not mean. You know, you may have heard from people, probably mostly from unbelievers, that no one can judge another person for what he or she believes or does. After all, truth is relative, isn't it? Your truth is true if it's true for you, and no one has the right to tell anyone that they're wrong. And how dare you if you do? The implication is that it's always morally wrong to make judgments about another person. Well, if that's how you think, and I believe that many people today think that's way, that way, uh, then our text today could be easily taken out of context, used to support a false idea that Jesus never judges anyone but instead he loves and accepts and tolerates everyone just the way they are, no questions asked. Now this may sound on the surface very kind and very loving and very tolerant, but is this what Jesus is actually teaching here? No, absolutely not. You see, the Bible is very clear 
that we are to use discernment and right judgment to distinguish between right and wrong. And we're supposed to speak up when we see sin and injustice. This is actually the most loving thing to do. For example, Jesus, the most loving person to ever walk the earth, did not hesitate to confront sinful, hypocritical actions of the Pharisees, calling them fools, full of greed and wickedness, whitewashed tombs. Similarly, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he says this, that he opposed the Apostle Peter to his face when Peter was acting hypocritically. And so from the Bible's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from Peter's, uh, Paul's perspective, it is not inherently wrong to judge another person's words or deeds, to call them to the carpet, so to speak, especially when they are in sin. But perhaps the most practical example of using right judgment is what Jesus tells believers to do when we encounter sin within the church. Matthew 18 says, uh, Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, turn him out of the church. Notice in this passage that Jesus is actually telling us that when a person sins against us, we need to confront that person and tell him or her of their fault. Notice the goal is not to be vindictive or vengeful towards our brother or sister, but rather it is to gain or to win them back to what is true and to what is right, even if it means eventually taking it to the entire church, even if it means excommunicating him from the fellowship. And again, the goal is not to be judgmental and condemning. The goal is restoration, to win your brother or sister back to Christ. This is the most loving thing to do according to Holy Scripture. So from the very start, let's make it clear that our passage this morning is not teaching us that it is always wrong to judge and that we can never point out sin in another person. But what this passage is teaching us is how to do this properly. How do we deal with and live with other people, our coworkers, our friends, our church, family, our relatives, our spouses? How are we to live with them even when we don't agree with each other, even when they sin against us? Well, God willing, this is what I hope we will learn together this morning. Now, in order to set the stage for our passage, we need to go back to verses 27 to 36, where Jesus calls us to love even our enemies. The context for us not to judge and condemn falls under a greater and larger idea of how we are to love other people even when they don't love us, even when in our estimation they don't deserve to be loved. And the key thing to understand in these verses is that Jesus is calling his followers to do something that is not natural. This is not 
how we normally respond. We naturally, instinctively even, want to get back at those who hurt us. We want to hate those who hate us, and we want to hold back from those when they make demands from us. But this is not how Jesus expects his followers to live. Rather, Jesus calls us to love with an uncommon love, to turn the other cheek, to forgive even those who don't deserve it. Now, this is not our natural behavior, and it is definitely not easy to do. In fact, I would say that it is impossible to do in our own strength. This is a supernatural kind of love. And so how do you do it? How do you love like this? How is this even possible? Well, I think you know the answer. It is only through Jesus Christ. This kind of love is only possible when we become sons and daughters of God. And just as all children learn by watching how their parents talk and treat other people, we too learn from our Heavenly Father. We witness firsthand how our Father is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. We see how our Father is merciful to those who deserve condemnation, and we watch as He loves the unlovable. And our best and really our only example of this kind of love is found in Jesus Christ Himself. He willingly went to the cross to be crucified by the very ones He had come to save, while his enemies cursed and struck him, spit at him, humiliated him, he said nothing in return except to ask that his father forgive them. He died in our place in order to save us from our sins. And he did this because of his love for his father and his love for you and for me. This is a supernatural kind of love, and it is the model that we have been given to follow. And it is only to the extent that we truly understand and believe this that we are able to love and to forgive even our enemies. As Ligon Duncan says, how we respond to and think about and speak to and behave toward those who have not loved us well will often reveal much about whether we understand the gospel and how much we have experienced of God's grace to us. If we are saved sinners then we are those who are in the wrong that God has treated with compassion, mercy, and grace. If we fully understand that, it will impact the way we treat those who are in the wrong. In other words, there will be a savor of compassion, mercy, and grace, even in our dealings with those who are in the wrong. And so it is in this context of supernatural love that Jesus now tells his followers, that he's now telling us in verse 37 and 38, do not judge, do not condemn, rather forgive and give generously. Again, this is not a natural or easy task because prideful, sinful, self-centered human beings love to sit in the high chair of the judge. And I think if, that we're, if we're truly honest with ourselves, I think even we as Christians would have to admit that we all love the judge's chair and we can all be so easy and so quick and easy to condemn other people. 
All you have to do is think about your thoughts and feelings towards people from a different political camp as you. As you read a news source that reports on their viewpoints on politics, social issues, economics, COVID-19, I think we can easily see how prone we are as people to judge and condemn those who disagree with us. Now, I'm not saying that you have to agree with everything people say and do. And I'm not saying that there is no space in our moral frameworks for judgments against sin and injustice. That's the fallacy that we addressed at the very beginning. But what Jesus is saying here is that judgment and condemnation that we heap on people who disagree with us or, or who have somehow slighted us is not compatible with those who claim to follow Christ. Rather than judge and condemn, Jesus says we are to love and forgive, and we are to give generously even when people don't deserve it. Why? Because we have been given love, and we have been forgiven when we didn't deserve it. We are all sinners whose transgressions required the death of the Son of God in order to save us. Were it not for the love and forgiveness of God, we would all be condemned to an eternity in hell because of our sin. That is the reality for all of us. We are not a righteous judge. We are guilty sinners. And so we do not sit in the seat of a judge, worthy to pronounce judgment and condemnation on others. No. Rather, we sit in the humble and lowly seat of one who has been forgiven by the mercy and grace of God. Now, how well we stay in that seat when confronted by people who rub us the wrong way will, as Ligon Duncan said, reveal much about whether we understand the gospel and how much we have experienced of God's grace to us. But as I said before, staying in that seat of humility is not a natural or easy thing to do. We as a people are very quick to elevate ourselves to judge and to condemn. And so Jesus warns us not to be surprised if you in turn are treated the same way. There are consequences to how we treat other people. If we judge and condemn, then our expectation should be judgment and condemnation. If you choose to sit in the high seat of the judge, then don't be surprised when people start to take aim at you. And sometimes you don't even need other people to condemn you. Sometimes when you make yourself out to be judge and jury on other people, you can't help but condemn yourself when you fail. And so there are negative consequences to our actions, but there are also positive outcomes when we choose to do what is right, when we forgive and when we give generously. Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, if by God's grace you have forgiving, generous, gracious people in your life, then you know how grateful you are that you know them. If they did or some, did something to you that slighted you or hurt you and then they asked for your forgiveness, you would most likely be very ready to forgive them. 
And if they were to ask you for anything, I'm sure you would also be very quick and generous to give back to them. And so it is quite common in our human experience that forgiveness begets forgiveness and generosity begets generosity. But do you think that this is the extent of what Jesus is teaching us here? Forgive those who forgive us and give to those who give to us? No. Remember, the context of these verses is that we are, in, we are supposed to be showing an uncommon love because an uncommon love has been shown to us. That is God's way. Love, mercy, forgiveness, giving generously even when people don't deserve it. When you do this, you are acting like your father. You are living out an uncommon life, different from the rest of the world, because you are no longer part of this world. You have been adopted into the family of God, and you are now to live like a son or a daughter of the king. And so we don't forgive and give generously, expecting that human beings will always be forgiving and generous to us in return. That's not the reason why we do this. We are this way because our Father is this way. This is His nature and His way of doing things. God's love, forgiveness, and mercy has already been given to you in good measure, pressed down, poured out, and running over into your lap. And He gives this to us so freely and in such abundance so that we may in turn give it away to others freely with no conditions, no strings attached. The measure you use will be measured back to you. Jesus is telling us that this is God's way. And so Christian, as a child of the king, use a big measure don't hold back your love and your forgiveness. Help those around you to see the goodness of your heavenly Father. Because this dark, lost world needs to see this. They need to see Him because they are blind and they are lost. And it is with this in mind that we now look at verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. A blind man leading a blind man, and then both of them falling into a pit. It's both ridiculous and tragic. It's something you probably wouldn't see in real life, because both blind men would know how ridiculous that actually is. You're blind. You can't be leading me. Well, you're just as blind as I am. But that's exactly the point Jesus is trying to make. You would never trust a blind person to lead you anywhere. So why would you follow the world's ways, which are completely blind to the reality of the kingdom of God? Don't follow the blind, Jesus is saying, because you will fall into a pit. But the true tragedy of this parable is that the blind don't even know that they are blind. They think that they see so clearly, believing that this present world is all that there is. And so they live their lives blindly seeking only what they can get in this world. 
This is the tragedy that describes the lives of so many people today. This is the tragedy that causes such grief in our own hearts as we see our unsaved loved ones in our own families following the world blindly to their own destruction. But don't judge them. Don't condemn them. For as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They are blind because they are being blinded. And so rather than judge and condemn them, we must continue to share the truth of the gospel with them in love, gently and respectfully giving them a reason for our hope. And we must continue to pray to pray for them just, and just as God has done for us, we pray that God would intervene and give sight to the blind. And so pray, pray, pray for the blind. Do not condemn them, but especially do not follow them. Now in this parable, Jesus then goes on to address us, his followers, his disciples, and he reminds us that we are not above our teacher. Now why do you think Jesus needs to remind us of this. Could it be that he knows that in our foolishness, we can sometimes be so prone to thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought that we might even think that we know more than our teacher, Jesus Christ? Absolutely, he knows this. He knows we are going to struggle with his teaching about the kingdom of God and how we are to live differently from the world. He knows we're going to struggle with what it means to love our enemies. He knows that even as Christians, we are going to struggle with being tempted to follow the blind guides of this world. And he knows we're going to try and rationalize and make all kinds of excuses on why we cannot follow his teaching. Jesus knows this about us. And so he warns us, don't follow the blind and don't think you know better than your teacher. Now, this makes me think of that scene in the movie The Karate Kid where Mr. Miyagi is teaching Daniel san. Do you remember that? Wax on, wax off, paint fence, side to side, wax the floor. You know, Daniel san doesn't understand why he's being made to do all these seemingly pointless and exhausting things when all he wants to do is learn karate. And it comes to the point where Daniel-san wants to quit because he's fed up and he's frustrated because he thinks he knows more about how to teach and how to learn karate than Mr. Miyagi, his teacher. Until, until the pivotal scene when Mr. Miyagi finally puts it all together and shows Daniel-san that each movement, each movement is actually a karate movement that enables him to defend himself from all the blocks and kicks and punches. You know, we too can be like Daniel-san, can't we? We don't understand why God calls us to endure seemingly arbitrary and meaningless trials why he allows difficulty and hardships into our lives. We don't understand, and so we question, and we begin to think we know more than the teacher himself. And so this is where Jesus steps in, and he tells us, no, you don't know more than me. I am the teacher, and I know what I am doing, and your role is simply to learn from me 
and to trust me. I am training you. And when you are fully trained, you are going to see. You will see that all along I have been training you so that you can be like me. But most of us, most of us are not there yet, are we? Especially those of us who are younger, when we haven't fallen down enough yet, flat on our faces, smashed our thumbs, stubbed our toes, had egg put all over us because we think we know more than we actually do. We think we're better than we are, and that's our problem, which leads us to our next verses. Look at verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now the imagery of a huge log stuck in your eye is meant to be, again, ridiculous. It's comical, really, when you think about it. It's meant to show us how utterly foolish we are when we try to stand in judgment of others when we ourselves do the very same thing. And this is why Jesus calls us hypocrites. We are so prone to see the smallest faults in other people, especially those who are closest to us, our brothers, our children, our parents, or our spouses. Yet all the while, we do not even realize that we are guilty of the same thing. And if you're listening to these words right now thinking, well, that's not me, then you've just proven Jesus' point. Brothers and sisters, we are all guilty of this, but we can't even see it because there is a huge log in our eye. When you judge other people, you are putting yourself above them. In your pride, you think that you do things correctly and others do them wrong. And so you judge and you condemn them. This is how the prideful, blind Pharisees were. So full of their own self-importance, relying on how well they obeyed the law that they were never able to see. They were never able to see that on the inside, they were filthy. And this is why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs with rotting corpses on the inside. Our pride will always do this to us, blinding us to our own faults so that with impunity we condemn and judge others who do not measure up to our way, our methods, and our opinions. Charles Spurgeon said, None are more unjust in their judgments of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. And so what does Jesus say we are to do about this? Well, first of all, recognize our hypocrisy. Recognize that we are all in the same boat together. We're all sinners. We're all at the same level. And none of us sits in the high chair as judge. God is the only judge. And our only standard is his word, not our own ways, not our methods, not our opinions. And once we recognize this, the next step is to take the log out of our eyes. We need eye surgery. And so to do this, we must go back to the place of healing where we can be restored. We must go back to the place where there is clarity, where the lies and falsehoods and confusions of this world fade away. We must go back to the cross. 
and let the gospel do its surgical work on us once again. For it is at the cross that our pride and self-pretense are cut away and we can see with absolute clarity that we are hopeless and helpless sinners who have been saved by the love and mercy and grace of God. We recognize that the forgiveness of God has been given to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into our laps. And because we have experienced with such abundance this kind of forgiveness, we can now freely give this to others with no expectations of getting anything in return except to know that we are pleasing our Heavenly Father. And when this happens... When this happens, when we come to this realization, the log has been removed. And it is at this point, and only at this point, that we can now go to our brother with clarity of sight, in great love, with great forgiveness and no condemnation, and take the speck out of his eye so that he too can be restored by the same grace and mercy that has restored you. That's how you do it. That's how you judge rightly. That's what it requires. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, how you continue to teach us how to love and to forgive even our enemies. And we thank you, Father, that it is only by you, by your power, by your spirit, through your gospel, that we are able to do this. Thank you that you have opened our eyes and given us sight to see and understand the reality of the kingdom of God. And we pray for those who don't know you yet. Please be merciful, Lord. Please open their eyes as you did ours and save them. Again, we thank you, Father, for this morning. And we pray that you would continue to do the work that you have begun in us, that you would continue to perfect it, that you would continue, Father, to grow us in our faith so that we might become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is all because of you. We praise you and we thank you, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.